A few years ago, I was invited um, by a colleague, friend, Kim Beals, who's a um, uh, Anglican minister and musician as well, like me, so we have a thing in common. Uh, he invited me to see his uncle play the saxophone in a band at the East Brunswick Hotel. And uh, the band was a blues band, and it was headed up by the Hollywood movie star Tim Robbins. Uh, those of you who don't know Tim Robbins, he's the lead actor in Shawshank Redemption, which is one of the most popular movies of all time. Anyway, we watched the, we watched the movie, and... Uh, sorry, watched the, the gig, and then at the, end of the, um, at the end of the show, we were able to go into the band room. So Kim and I, like sheepish you know, um, groupies walked into the, the band room. And it's just, it's just a pub. And if you've ever been into a band room of a pub, which I'm sure you all have been into band rooms of a pub, they're very usually pretty small. So here we are with this seven-piece band and Tim Robbins. And Kim and I are sitting in the corner. And um, Tim sort of uh, looked over and says hi. And then Kim goes, great gig. I said, I'm like this, and I'm a, I'm a bit awkward. And then, and then Tim Robbins comes up to us and says, Beer? And I was like, thanks, mate. And it was all, this was, we were trying our best just to blend in, you know, <laughs> just totally act like we, you know, it was just Tim Robbins, you know. And uh, we're sitting there, and Tim's drinking his beer. Then cake comes in, and Tim carves out some cake, and he comes up to me and says, Would you like some cake? I'm like, Oh, thanks. Thanks so much. <laughs> and then I eat some cake, and that was the whole experience. <laughs> and the thing is, it's just so amazing, isn't it, when someone who's much more important than you are shows you kindness and generosity and doesn't act like a big sort of self-important person. It makes you feel great. And actually, kindness is one of the Christian virtues. The Bible tells us that God is kind and he shows that kindness to us. And in this story from the second chapter of Ruth, we see God's kindness towards his people as it is shown to Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth through a man called Boaz. These two women had been in a desperate situation. They'd been in, Naomi, uh, in uh, Ruth's homeland of Moab, which is a foreign land, and uh, they'd experienced great tragedy. Their husbands had died and... Um, they decided to commit to each other and they came back home to Naomi's land of Bethlehem to live back amongst the Hebrew people and they were poor and destitute. And yet despite all this, what this chapter shows us, you might not see it at first, but when you read the whole book you see God is working behind the scenes in their lives to show great kindness to them through this Hebrew man, Boaz. And from this second act in this four-act story, we'll see more twist and, twists and turns, more surprises, which will reveal that with God, actually, there are no coincidences. He has his hand over our lives. And we're going to learn three things about his kindness. We're going to learn that he's so kind, even though he doesn't have to be. His kindness is lavish and his kindness saves us. So let's look at how God is so kind, even though he has, doesn't have to be. The chapter begins with Naomi and, and Ruth arriving at Bethlehem from Moab, and they're hungry and they're looking for food. And so um, they come across this certain grain field and, and Ruth goes into it to start gleaning and to, to take some of the, 
the, uh, the wheat and the barley on the side because actually in Hebrew law uh, all the farmers had to do this, they had to allow some of their field um, to be just for the poor to, to come and to feed off. And so Ruth wasn't doing anything wrong here. And uh, the passage tells us that actually this field belongs to one of Naomi's relatives, or Naomi's husband's, dead husband's relatives. Um, but Ruth and Naomi don't know this just yet. This was a risky thing for Ruth to do. You know, as a young woman, you don't just go and hang out with farmhands. Um, you can see at various times in the passage that it reveals that this is actually slightly dangerous. But they're at a real low point. So they're desperate. They're scavenging like, like dogs collecting the scraps under the table. Then Boaz, the owner of the field, just appears. Um, he arrives and greets the other workers and notices this young woman, Ruth, and finds out who she is and that she's a Moabite woman. And, and he asks, how does this Moabite woman find herself on this field? And then he finds out uh, it's Ruth and that Ruth is with Naomi. He, he goes over to her and says, you can see it in verse 8, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. and Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. He was being really kind to Ruth. And he didn't have to be that kind. See, in Jewish law, Israelites had to help their family members in need. And they also had to welcome foreigners seeking asylum, which is what um, Ruth was. She's a foreigner seeking asylum, I guess, in a way. Leviticus 19.34 says, The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourselves. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But this didn't necessarily apply to people from Moab, uh, like Ruth. The law of Moses didn't look favourably on people from Moab. God had actually forbidden them from worshipping with the Israelites. Other foreigners were allowed, but not the Ammonites and not the Moabites. Why is, is God a bit, uh, is Moses and, and God a bit sort of racist here? Uh, Deuteronomy 23 verse 3 says, No Ammonite or Moabite shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. That means just none of them. You know, none of their descendants, it says in Deuteronomy 23, shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. See, at a, at a key moment in Israel's history, when they were fleeing from slavery in Egypt, the Moabites were so opposed to the Israelites that their king Balak tried to get the ancient pagan <coughs> witch called Balaam to put a curse on them so that they'd become weak and die in battle. Uh, the whole arrangement didn't work. God intervened and turned this curse into a blessing. But nevertheless, these are unsavoury people. So Moses made it clear and said, you know, in chapter 23, verse 6 of Deuteronomy, do not seek even a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. They should not be trusted. The, the law is not so much racist, it's wise, and it's about keeping Israel holy. No self-respecting Jew would have judged Boaz. If he had said, Ruth, you're a Moabite, sorry, um, you'll have to go back to Moab. He's under no obligation here. So this is a bit of a complex situation. So, Because from one, one, one perspective, 
Ruth is Boaz's enemy. On another perspective, Ruth is connected to Naomi through her dead husband, so Boaz possibly could be a bit more generous towards her as extended family. It's up to him, really. Now, in Hebrew, the word Boaz means strength. Uh, And so he he just demonstrates this in this story. He's strong in lots of ways. He's a strong person in the community. He owns property, employs people. But he's strong in character. Uh, He shows indiscriminate kindness to Ruth. The kind of indiscriminate kindness we see, we, we see actually promoted by Jesus in the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember the story? In, in response to the question, uh, Jesus, you say we should love our neighbour as ourselves. Well, who is my neighbour? And Jesus tells the story of a man walking on the road to Jericho. We don't find out anything much about the man, but we just, he's walking on the road to Jericho. He's beaten up, he's robbed, and he's left for dead on the side of the road. And Jesus says, a man walks past, a priest, probably going on his way to the temple, and he sees him and he walks on the other side and he just leaves him there. Then another religious worker who works in the temple, called a Levi, walks along the same road, sees the man lying there, and keeps walking. And then Jesus says, a third man from the foreign, unclean people group of Samaria, a Samaritan man, he walks along, and he sees the man, and he comes over, and he helps the man. He picks him up, he takes him to a place where he can be looked after. He hands over his own money. He takes a risk. He did not get asked to be paid back. This isn't done out of moral obligation or religious duty, but done out of a heart response. Jesus' story of the, of the kind Samaritan, we call it the good Samaritan, should be the kind Samaritan, has universal appeal because, see, most of us have tight boundaries over who we show our kindness to, don't we? We like to help people look and smell and and talk like us. But this is not the Jesus way. This story showed a Samaritan helping a Jew. And by doing this, Jesus was saying that anybody from any race, politics, economic status or religion is your neighbour. He's not saying that every person is your Christian brother and sister, but he's saying that every person is your neighbour and that you should love your neighbour. The Samaritan, just like Boaz, showed true, godly, other-person-centred kindness. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way, On the parable of the Good Samaritan, I imagine that the first question the priest and Levite asked was, If I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But by the very nature of this concern, his concern, the Good Samaritan reversed the question, If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? You might have heard me talk about um, plans that our church has to get involved with Sambal Lodge, which is over the road from here. Sambal Lodge is a Brotherhood of St Lawrence nursing home for homeless elderly people. So for these people, this is the best home that they've ever lived in for many of them. And we have a meeting tomorrow at 10 o'clock with me and the chaplain from the Brotherhood of St Lawrence and the manager of Sambal Lodge. and we're gonna discuss how we can get involved. And I'm really excited about this. And I ask you now, when it comes to the time when I say, well, we've made some arrangements, how would you like to get involved? I ask you, will you get involved? Will you show the same kind of kindness that Boaz showed Ruth and Naomi? That same non-discriminatory kindness that the Samaritan man showed an anonymous, beaten up, 
man on the road to Jericho. See, people with good intentions use words to express themselves, but people who actually care use actions. Think about God's kindness. He loved you and he loved me so much that he performed the ultimate action of sending his son Jesus so that anyone who should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Look to Boaz and realise that this is a snapshot of the indiscriminate kindness that God has shown you. God is kind to you even though he doesn't have to be. But secondly, God's kindness is lavish. Notice how much kindness Boaz lavishes on Ruth. First of all, he lets her glean wheat in his field in the normal area of the field, not where the poor people go, but just go, you know, with my workers. Secondly, in verse 9, he gives her permission to drink water from the vessels that the men had got from the well. And just so you get inside the culture, normally the women went and got the water and put in the vessels and the men drank that water. But here it's all reversed because Boaz is being so kind. And look at Ruth's reaction, verse 10. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? I mean, this is, let's just see this for what it is. It's a bit of an overreaction from a girl who's got a bit of a crush. She's flustered. Uh, she's very grateful. She's seeing the kindness, but man, this is amazing. She's falling on the ground. Why are you noticing me, a great one? This is, this is a bit like a scene from Sense and Sensibility or something, you know. Then Boaz says in verse 11, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law. May the Lord repay you, this is verse 12, may the Lord repay you for what you have done and may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And, and Ruth responds, may I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord. You've put me to ease by speaking kindly. And love is in the air. We've got to see this. This is a great story. It's one of the most um, important stories in, in the ancient world and popular. Um, romance is forming. Uh, between these two. Boaz has a bit of a crush on Ruth and it's vice versa. So he keeps lavishing more on her. Look at verse 14. He offers her a meal of bread and vinegar. I know if I was trying to, you know, romance someone, I would, I, you know, I would not give them bread and vinegar. But nevertheless, uh, in that society, it was saying, oh, thank you, vinegar. And she sat down with some other words and ate some roast grain. Roast grain. She had all she wanted, and she had more left over, it says. Then Boaz instructed the workers that Ruth was to glean not the scraps of the wheat, but to have access to the standing wheat. That's the good stuff. And they had to give her some of what they had already gathered. And he told his men, his men not to bother her. She gathered in the sheaves of barley all the way to the evening, and she ended up with an ephah, which is about 13 kilograms. So, you know, you've got to imagine her carrying it on her head probably. And just to put it in context, this was kind of like a week's average pay for, for Bethlehem at that time. And according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, the average Australian full-time wage in, well, the late, last time they checked in 2014, is $74,724, which means, uh, before tax, which means, you know, in equivalent terms, she's carrying about $1,500 worth of stuff on her head. You know, we've got to see it for what it is. This is significant for this destitute, poor woman. Not only this, but in verse 23, you might not see the significance of this, but 
Boaz lets her continue to do this every day, it says, until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. Which to ancient people, they were going, that's, that's amazing, that's like seven weeks. I mean, if she gets an ephah every day for seven weeks, they'll be able to eat for a whole year. She's set up. This is not just a romantic story, it's a rags to riches story. What we are to see is that God is providing for Naomi and Ruth and he's using the kindness, the lavish kindness of his servant Boaz to achieve this. In fact, the way the Bible describes God's kindness is that he is a prodigal God. Where prodigal actually means spending money or using resources freely and recklessly, wastefully and extravagantly. And it also means having or giving something on a lavish scale. The story of the prodigal son is actually about, you know, like a wayward son and a prodigal father. Uh, it's, you know, it's a Jesus parable about a young son who rebels and, and the young son brings shame on his father and goes away, takes all his, you know, his inheritance and then realises his, his ways, comes back and when the father sees his, his youngest son coming, his father runs out to meet him and he embraces him and he gives him a ring on his finger and puts a robe on, on, on his back and then throws a big party and lavishly, uh, graciously forgives his son, throws everything on him um, and this is a big party. Reckless spending on his son who's come home. This is like God's love for us. Listen to Paul's words in Ephesians 2 verse 4. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. And he did this so that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. See, you and I are deserving of wrath. We are all Moabitesses to God. You should have been excluded because of your selfishness and our rejection of God. But God's been so kind that he lavishes his riches on us and he sends Jesus to save us. Have you realised God's lavish kindness to you? Has God's kindness hit your heart like an arrow and pierced it? If it has, at one point in your life, You should have done a Ruth and probably fallen down on the ground in your own kind of way and said, I'm so grateful, thank you so much. Why have I found favour in your eyes? Maybe you don't walk around with a sense of gratitude in your heart. I know he doesn't. They talk a lot about white privilege in the newspaper. I saw an article in The Age about... uh, this week about the budgie nine, Do you see that? The budgie nine. Those blokes who were at the Malaysian Grand Prix and they stripped down to their speedos and then they got arrested for being offensive and a few journalists have jumped, jumped on them pointing out, oh, these guys are private school boys from Sydney and they're just privileged and we shouldn't show any sympathy. They do it all around the place and they, they don't respect people's culture. White privilege is all about thinking you deserve special treatment because you're white. Well, I don't necessarily think that anyone here is going to um, think that you're, you deserve special treatment from God because of your race, but because you, you might think you deserve special treatment from God because of the fact that you're such a good person. If you think this, then you do not know yourself. You lack self-awareness. You have in your genetic material 
and in your deep psychology ever since you were born an inherent desire to rebel against God, to be selfish and self-centred, to be egotistic, to hate and to be lustful. Even your most generous act has false motivations. God knows this about you and he knows this about me. And yet Christians worship a God of great expenditure who is prodigal towards us, his children, who is kind, who is reckless in his kindness. This is the greatest life-changing hope for the Christian. There is nothing you can do to repay God. But there are two things you can do to respond to his lavish kindness. You should continually thank him every day for his lavish kindness to you. Psalm 63 verse 3 says, Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. And even if you don't feel like doing it, it's important to do. It's like the discipline of thanking God over and over again reshapes your heart so that you're pointed back towards him. It's like telling a person you love them, even though sometimes you don't feel like it. The discipline of telling them that you love them reshapes your heart so that over time it's guided back in the right direction. Secondly, you can pass on the kindness to others. You can display the Christian virtue of kindness. This is the fruit of the Spirit and what it means to be more like Christ. Don't just give people your shirt. Give them your coat too. Don't just walk one kilometre. Walk two kilometres. Like Boaz's lavish kindness to Ruth, God has been lavishly kind to you. He has been more kind to you than you can imagine. So thank him every day and be lavishly kind to others. And lastly, this is the most cool thing about this passage, is that we see that God's kindness actually saves us. The last characteristic of Boaz's kindness to Ruth and Naomi is that it ends up saving them. And next week, if you come back for chapter 3, you see how that fleshes out. But the fact that Boaz is a relative of Naomi meant, as he says in verse 20, that, as she says in verse 20, he is what they call a guardian redeemer, and some Bibles call it a kinsman redeemer. A guardian redeemer or kinsman redeemer is a male relative who, according to the law of Moses, had the responsibility to act on behalf of their poor relative who is in need. The, the word in Hebrew literally means one who delivers or rescues or redeems property or a person. God has guided Ruth and Naomi to a kinsman redeemer. And if you read the book of Ruth, you might, it might look to some people that there's a whole series of coincidences. Boaz just appears and is kind. He just happens to be Naomi's relative. But there's no coincidences in this story. This is all God's handiwork, hand, handiwork behind the scenes. And I ask you, do you see God's hand in your life? Do you see coincidences in your life that are perhaps God working? Have you ever wondered how he brought you into this congregation in the first place, if you're a regular? I think about my life, and I definitely can see God's hand in my life. In so many places, unexpected things. I just happened to study and do a PhD in Aboriginal mission history. And it so happened that the Melbourne Diocese just happened to get an Archbishop who also did a PhD in Aboriginal mission history. And he just happened to organise for me 
uh, a group of young adults to go to the Northern Territory to see some Aboriginal mission. And we just happened to be walking together through Darwin and he talked to me about potentially getting ordained one day. And so later when I responded to that calling, I then met with some chaplains that he sent to examine me and both chaplains in separate meetings, independent of each other, said, perhaps you should think about planning a church in the inner north of Melbourne. Totally didn't talk to each other, they both said it. And I said, oh, that's an interesting idea, this is in 2008. And then a few years later, I was at a meeting with the Archdeacon, uh, Richard Condy, and he said, I think we need to plant a church in the inner north of Melbourne, Peter, I think you should think about doing this. Uh, and, uh, you know, once we formed a team and we were looking for a venue, uh, one of the team members, happened to ring up Clifton Hill Primary in the holidays and the principal happened to be standing there and he just happened to pick up the phone and he answered him and said, yeah, sure, you can meet in our hall. That's great, we'd love to have you. And then, about a year later, um, a whole series of things lined up and Joe and I were just able to buy a house in North Detroit, a few, you know, about a kilometre from, from, from here. You know, now a cynical person will look at that and say, well, you know, that's great. You guys are, you know, making some good decisions or here's a whole lot of coincidences. And they'd probably look at the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and say the same thing. Perhaps you look at your life and you see that. You see a whole series of co coincidences and random events. And perhaps you're sitting here today, on the other hand, and you realise, actually, God has had his hand in your life. And he has been working inside the decisions in your control and out of your control. And he has shown lavish kindness to you, even though he doesn't have to. But even more than this kindness that I've experienced in life and you have experienced, God has done something even more special. And that is, is he's provided a relative for you who is your kinsman redeemer. You have a, a brother who will help you, Jesus Christ, who is a man of perfect character, and strength. Hebrews 2 verse 11 says, For the one who sanctifies, that is, makes holy, and those who are sanctified or holy, all have one Father. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. We should all fall down on our faces and respond with gratitude to our kinsman redeemer and his lavish kindness. We are all Moabitesses to God. We have nothing to offer. We're a foreigner to him. We've got no resources to be in a right relationship with God. But we have a kinsman redeemer who has offered to rescue us. And he has been involved in your life all along. I ask you to respond to him. Let's pray. This prayer I'm going to say is the first verse from a song that um, our band, Andy Four Movement, sings. And I just realised it's a bit of a few connections to um, this chapter from Ruth. In the early morning, verdant fields adorning, while the golden sunlight wakes the dewy leaves, haste me now with gladness, banish cares and sadness, and gather in the sheaves. Lord God, we thank you for this uh, second chapter of Ruth and for the lavish kindness that you showed Naomi and Ruth through Boaz. We think of the lavish kindness you have shown to us, people who did not deserve the kindness, and yet you poured it out on us. Amen.